<clears throat> Good morning, Mariners, Huntington Beach. Are you alive? Are you awake? All right. Well, this is my third service this morning, so you're going to have to help me uh, and just give me some energy when we're, uh, we're going through this. Uh, my name is Ronnie, uh, as Graham said. I'm a pastor at uh, Mariners in Irvine. I teach on Sunday nights there. My wife and I have been in transition from where we live currently, uh, moving out to Orange County. We live in Corona. Uh, yes, it's not named after the beer. Uh, it's actually the desert on the other side of the mountain, so I have quite the commute to come in here, and so we're trying to make our way. It's this whole series, Love Where You Live, has been very interesting for us as we've been in transition. My wife is a worship leader. She leads on the weekends at Irvine as well. And so uh, I have the opportunity to sit in some meetings with your pastor, Caleb, and hear from him and hear him how he talks about you and how excited he is for the way that God is moving in this church and to be here and to witness it and see, I am just blown away. And I'm thankful that you guys uh, have given me the opportunity to share with you uh, what I believe God has said to us and as a church and how we can love the communities that we're in. And so I know that Caleb talked to you guys last week a little bit about <clears throat> being placed for a purpose, right? That God has uniquely placed us in the places where we live and, and work and all these places so that we can uniquely love and care for the people in that community. And that's this idea of love where you live. And so we're going to talk some more on that. And we're going to talk a little bit about what does it look like to continue this conversation of loving the places that we live. So uh, if you have your Bibles, would you open up to Luke chapter 10? Now, I do things a little bit differently. Uh, I like to start off with a lot of scripture that we're going to talk about because I believe the scripture will frame uh, our conversation, it will guide our hearts, it will redirect us, and at the end of the day, if my message is terrible, at least you heard God's word, right? Okay, so we're in agreement. Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 25, and it goes all the way through uh, verse 42. So I'm going to read this chunk of it. Uh, I'll kind of break it up a little bit as we, as we uh, go along. So it says this, a lawyer, are there any lawyers in the room, first of all? Okay, I don't want to offend anybody. Good. Okay. So if there's a lawyer who stood up and put Jesus to the test, as lawyers do, right? And so it says, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, then what is written in the law? In typical Jesus fashion, he asked the question back. What is written in the Old Testament? How does it read to you? And he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. So he sums up the Ten Commandments the way that Jesus said was the most important. So he repeats this to Jesus. And then Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Uh, but wishing to justify himself, sneaky lawyers, wanting to justify and try to find a loophole, he says, yes, Jesus, but who is my neighbor, right? So who is really my neighbor? Who am I supposed to love? And so Jesus says, okay, I'm going to tell you a story. I'm going to give you a parable. And so he teaches this parable that we've all heard, the Good Samaritan. So I'll read through it. It says, a man was going from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among the robbers, and they stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. And by chance, a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by the other side. A priest obviously should have stopped. He should have compassion and love, and he doesn't. And then it says, likewise, a Levite who came, and he saw where this place was and saw him and passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, interesting that he uses a Samaritan, because a Samaritan was, they were the outcasts. They were the dogs. They were scum of the earth. And then no one ever thought anything good could come from a Samaritan. And so Jesus now is throwing this curveball at the lawyer and the people who are asking this question. He says, but a Samaritan who was on a journey came upon him and, said, and when he saw him, felt compassion. He came and he bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. And he put them on his own beast and he brought them to the inn and took care of him. On the next day, he took out two denarii and he gave it to the innkeeper and he said, take care of him. Whatever, or whatever more you spend, I will, return when I, uh, I will return and I will repay you. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell to the robber's hands? And he said, the lawyer said, the one who showed mercy to him. Some scholars believe that this lawyer, these people hated Samaritan so much, he wouldn't even say the name Samaritan. He actually responded with the one who showed mercy towards him. And I love that Jesus said, 
Now go and do the same, which was probably hard words for this lawyer to hear. Traveling along the road some more, it comes this next part. It says, as they were traveling along, he entered into a village. And this is the passage we're going to look at this morning. A woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary who was seated at the Lord's feet listening to his word. But Martha, she was distracted with all of her preparations. And she came up to Jesus and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me doing all the serving alone? In other words, Martha's like, really? You're going to let my sister sit here while I'm doing all the work? And so Jesus replied, he said, Martha, Martha, he said, you're too worried and bothered about so many things, but only one thing is necessary, for Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Jesus redirects and redefines what it means to be. And so this morning, as we talk about uh, this passage, I believe that the church and where we gather together in the morning and gather together to worship is the place where we allow and steward people to meet Jesus, right? This is why we invite our friends. This is why we invite friends to come and experience, to meet Jesus. I also believe that the world in which we live and we work and we go to school, that is the place where we are responsible to be Jesus to the world, right? God has called us, and we, we, we think of this as being missional-minded. A lot of times we think of missionaries, and we think those are the people who go and travel long ways to go and share the gospel. We are all missionaries, God has uniquely placed us to be missionaries to the people that we come into contact with every day. Now, here's the question. How can we love where we live when most of us probably don't even have time to love the people that we come into contact with? Our schedules are so packed, so jammed, we're overworked, we're overreaching, and so how do we truly love where we live if we have so much on our plate? And so this morning, hopefully what you hear from me, because I know you're busy, and I'm busy too, hopefully what you don't hear me say is I'm trying to add something to your list of to-dos this week, because actually what I hope that you get from this is that I'm asking you to subtract something from your week. I'm actually asking you to do less this week. Some of you are like, amen. Uh, that we could end it here and you'd be happy. But I believe that God wants us to do less. And so I've entitled my message to do less, to be more. Do less, to be more. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for this opportunity to share. Thank you that um, you are on the move here in Huntington Beach through these people, that you are clearly showing and reflecting your love into this community. God, we desperately want to be, uh, be closer to you. We want to know you. We want to know how to love you more and love your people. So we ask that you would give us uh, your Holy Spirit's power to encourage and to love and, and to go out and to do all of those things that, God, you've called us. We love you. We thank you. And all of God's people said, amen. Um, anybody read this book, The Five Love Languages? You guys have read this? Okay, some newlywed couples in here probably have read it. If you've never read it, it's important. You should read it. It's a good book. Gary Chapman wrote it. If you're single, it's good. You should read it because it teaches us some things. What Gary uh, Chapman has laid out is that there are primarily five languages in which we show and convey love. It's also five ways that we receive love, and so you'll see it kind of alternate, and it's actually a fascinating book. It's, book. it's very profound. So my wife and I went through this when we first got married like six years ago, and we went through the book, and so we're going through, taking this little test about what your love languages are. Now, it's interesting. My wife, so do you guys know the love languages? The first one is what? No one's read it. Okay, quality time. I'll help you. I'll help you. We'll do it together. Quality time. You got acts of service, gifts, physical touch. And what's the last one? Aff words of affirmation. So you better give words of affirmation, whoever that was over here. So words of affirmation. So those are the five love languages. My wife's primary love languages are quality time, acts of service, and words of affirmation, right? Those are my wife's primary. Most women, we actually have all of them. Most women, that's, that, that's what they have. Mine are much simple. Mine is physical touch, 
gifts and touch me some more. Those are, those are like my primary. I'm a guy. It's pretty simple. That's really all you have to do, and everything is great. We're, we're conveying love, right? So we come into this conflict because my wife is a quality time person, and so for me, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm just, I, I think differently. So I go to work all day. My wife's a stay-at-home mom, and so I come home, and my wife, like a loving wife, goes, honey, how was your day? And so here's my response, and if you're a guy in here, don't raise your hand and go, that's me. Just, just be quiet. My response is, good. And my wife's looking at me like, no, 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 no. That's not what I want, right? So, you know, there's studies that show that women use 30,000 more words than men in a day. And so this is true. I, I, I'm like, it's good. She's like, no, I, you had meetings. How was the meeting? I'm like, yeah, it was good. And so what did you do? I went to work. It's like, what else do you want from me? This is all I've got, you know? And so my wife is, you need to give me more. And so the point of all this story is that in order for us to show love, when, when someone's uh, love language is, is quality time, we have to be able to give that time, right? We have to be able to sit in that space and create time and create margin to be able to do that, to show love. I truly believe that the currency, if, if, if love had a currency, the currency of love is time. The currency of love is time. That's what you're going to hear me talk about this morning, that the currency of love is time. Perhaps this is how we could see what you love in your life. If we looked at your calendar, right, and we went through your calendar just on a week and saw all the places you spent the most time, we would easily find out what you love. Well, that's scary. If you're looking at me, it's like, I, it could be that I love going to work more than I love being with my family and being with others. Now, I know we all have jobs to do, but maybe there's hobbies. Maybe there's like other things, cleaning the house or yard work, or all this stuff that gets in the way that becomes hindrances to what we're supposed to do. Perhaps this is why Jesus, when he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and he said, love your neighbors as yourself, what he was also meaning is that we would spend time, right? Because the currency of love is time. And so maybe what he's saying is, if you love me, you'll spend time with me. And if you love others, you'll spend time with them. Maybe that's what he was actually getting at, is for us to create space to be with people. I love this the story of, of, of the Good Samaritan. When you look at this story, we all know it, right? So there's this, you know, this, he tells this story about these guys, the priest, who is doing good things. This guy serves in the house of the Lord. He, he's a godly man. And so he's got a job to do, and he's going, and he sees this, this guy who's been robbed and beaten on the side of the road, and he just passes him by like nothing. And a Levite, this guy who also has, comes from this lineage of, of holiness and should be a righteous man, he sees this man who's fallen by the side, and he goes past. And then the curveball is the Samaritan who no one thinks would ever do anything good stops. Now, when you read this story, it's easy to just paint the, the priest and the Levite as bad guys. These guys are just bad. They don't love, they don't care, they just, they're just bad people. Maybe what's less sinister than them being bad is that they were just too busy. That their schedules and their time and the things that they had to get done did not allow them the opportunity to stop and care for someone who needed it most. I know that I've been driving down the street or been going to work or on my way somewhere and I've seen someone stalled in the middle of the road. And uh, hopefully I didn't honk at them and yell at them and tell them this is not a good place to park and drive around them fast. Hopefully I would stop and get out of the car and try to help this person. And I can just tell you right now, there's been maybe a few times I've done that in my life. Maybe you're uh, in a hurry out of your office and you see somebody who maybe is crying or having a hard time or a difficult time and it's like, I gotta get home, I gotta beat traffic, I gotta, and we, we're just too busy. There's opportunities and places all around to show love because the currency of love is what? It's time. It's time. And so it's easy to point, paint the bad, the bad picture that these are just bad guys, but maybe they were just so busy. 
They were so distracted. So where? Where in your life do you have people, your family, brothers, sisters, kids, wife, husband, that are right around you who need your love the most, who need your time the most, But because we're so busy, because our calendars are so jam-packed and we're always running behind and we're always trying to catch up and we're always moving forward that we're missing these moments to love and to care for people around us. How about your neighbors? I mean, not your actual neighbors, people who live next doors to you or across the street from you. I get it. You have a long day of work. You're on the 405, which is the worst freeway ever. And so you just want to get home, right? And so you have the garage door clicker. You drive in, you see your neighbor. And if you're happy, you kind of give them a wave. If you're like, whatever, you just give them the nod. If you're really mad, you don't even look at them. And you hit the garage door button. It goes up and you go in the garage, shut the garage door, and then you're in your little safe place. And it's like, you don't have to, the world is shut off, right? But how are there not opportunities? Maybe there's opportunities for us to create time and to care for them, to love. To have relationship. How can you have relationship with people that if you don't have time? This whole idea of loving where you live and if the currency of love is time and we don't have time, then maybe we should just end the conversation now because there's no way we can love where we live. Our schedules are too packed. We've got too many things going. We're too busy. And we live in a place, in a society, in a culture that says, just do more. Pick up your bootstraps. Work harder. It's okay. You can fit that. You can squeeze that in. You can do more. And I believe this is, this is the enemy trying to distract us from taking moments to see and experience God. To showcase what the kingdom of heaven looks like. Jesus places a high, high priority on spending time with him and with others. The law was summed up that way, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. Summed up in this idea of creating space and time. And the currency of love is time. Where are we able to make time in our life? So following this story, this whole interaction with the lawyer, Jesus is now walking and he's walking with his disciples. And I imagine there's all kinds of conversations. Everyone's back there going, oh my gosh, can you believe he talked about the Samaritan? Who would have thought a Samaritan? Really? It's crazy. I would have thought. And they're just going on and on and on. And they make their way into this village. And you can just picture the scene, right? It's, they're hungry. It's late in the afternoon. And this is another interesting thing about Jesus is he didn't actually have a home. Actually, I have a place that he would be like, I'm going to go home now. I've done some ministry. I need to go lay down. I need to go catch up on some Netflix. Walking Dead just came on. So I got to go. It's like he didn't do that, right? I don't know that he would watch Walking Dead. But anyway, so <clears throat> Jesus, he never had a place. And so he would go from, from place to place. But if there was anybody in your mind who had a busy schedule, things to do, and an agenda, would you not think it would be Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who came to save humanity, Right? And yet what you see over and over and over and over again in the scriptures is Jesus creates time for people, right? He stops in moments when you think, why? He does it. He creates space to meet the needs, to be available, to be there for people because he knows what the highest value is. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Create space. And so they're walking to this village, and Martha, she has her door open. It's not uncommon for rabbis who are traveling as teachers to have somebody open up their home to invite them in and all their followers because it was a great blessing to have a rabbi stay in your house, but also you got to hear from the rabbi. And and so they opened up their door to hear Jesus, and so Martha opens up her door. And Martha's awesome because how many people in this village could have opened up their door and didn't? And so Martha gets a bad rap in this story, but Martha has this open-door policy. So let me ask you this question. Do you 
in your life are you known as the open door person? Let me rephrase it. Do you have the open cubicle policy? Do you have the open office door policy where you work? If somebody is in need of something or if somebody needs to talk or has an issue, are they free? Do they know they can come to you? Is that how you're seen? How about in your house? Are you known as the the open door house? That if anybody in your neighborhood needed anything, they could come to you and you would be there to meet their needs. Are you that way with your friends? Are you known as the person that when I'm going through a hard time, I'm calling you because you always care and you create space and I know you're busy, but you still love me. Is that you? Because clearly this is Martha, right? So Martha gets this bad rap, but Martha actually welcomes Jesus in and she says, come, hang out here. But then this is where it really gets crazy because Martha thinks it's really just about all the preparation. It's about the food because she gets so wrapped up. And I know most of us, like the holidays are coming around. So we're thinking about all the things we have to get done. We got family members coming from all over the place. And so we want to make sure everything is right. So we're cooking and we're cleaning and we're doing all these things, which is very similar. And then Martha looks over and she sees her sister, Mary, who should be helping her because Jesus is here, is sitting at the feet doing nothing. And then it actually says in the scripture, she goes, Lord, really? You're going to allow this to happen? Tell her to help me. And then Jesus doesn't tell her to rush into the, the, frenetic, the, the, the frantic moving and doing. He actually says, Martha, Martha, you're so distracted. You're so busy. You think that this is all about doing. It's not. It's about being. It's about creating space to spend time and be. Now, I know it's easy when you read the story in hindsight, you go, well, if Jesus was coming to my house, I clearly would have everything prepared already ahead of time, and I would be there, and I would be with Jesus, and I would stand there, and I would, I'd be available. That's how I would be if Jesus was coming to my house. Well, I might jump to that conclusion, but Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 25. I don't have this verse passage for you, but just listen to the words that Jesus says, because it's startling. Because we think we would do something like this if it was Jesus, but then look at what he says. He puts it into perspective for people who were listening about Loving him. He says, 20, chapter 25, verse 35, he says, For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we feed you? When were you hungry, and we feed, fed you? You were thirsty, and we gave you something to drink. And when did we see you as a stranger and invite you in, or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer to them and say, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even to the least of them, then you did it to me. Startling, because we think we would do that for Jesus. But Jesus is saying, if you've done it for the least, the lost, the broken, the outcast, then you have done it to me. So, if the currency of love is time, where have you created time to welcome and love Jesus and people around you. The broken. Lost. The outcast. When have we helped a poor person? When have we helped or visited someone who was in prison? When have we, when have we cared for those people? Because Jesus says, if you did that, you did it for me. And see, Mary was waiting to be there. She was sitting, present and available for whatever Jesus needed. She wasn't busy and distracted. As I, as, I, as I walk through this and I think about all the conversations I've had with people in church and been around church people, even just people in general, I don't think that people are like wanting to be bad. They're like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to love people. I don't want to care for people around me. I don't think that's the case. 
I really truly believe that the, the issue is that we just don't have time. If we were to look at our schedules, it's like, where would I do that? Where would I go and serve the homeless? Where would I go and, and, and go and reach out to, to help people who are in prison and minister to them who never get visitors? Where could I go to a home, uh, an elderly home, and, and go and love on people who never get visited? Where could I do that? I've got so many things. I've got this. I've got soccer for the kids. And it's like, this is the, the list goes on and on. We're so distracted. And Jesus told Martha, you're so distracted with doing all these things. He says, sit and be. Be present. What are the ways that we find ourselves so distracted that we miss being with Jesus? I look at my life, and I, I miss it, and all the time. I, I think it's, it's, it's crazy, staggering. When I go through a, an entire day, and I reflect, and I go, I, I didn't spend any time with Jesus today, and I love, I love Jesus, and yet the currency of love is time. But because I'm so busy doing, and I'm so busy trying to catch up, and I'm late for work, and I'm late for meetings, and I'm always trying to do all these other things, I sort of miss the whole point. The whole purpose was to spend time and be with Jesus. What are the ways we find ourselves distracted that we miss being Jesus to others? What are the ways? I mean, we could, today, I mean, we could come up with a thousand different things we could do, right? There's all kinds of stuff that we can get involved in and go do lots of clubs, lots of different things, and we miss it. And as it turns out, that being a disciple of Jesus is about doing less so I can be more. That actually following Jesus means to surrender and to go, I can't do anything more, so I'm just going to sit and be and receive. That's crazy to us Americans because we're like, no, I got to be a Christian. That means I got to do a lot more. I, I mean, I'm not doing enough. I got to do more. And it turns out what Jesus says is, you don't have to do more. You actually have to stop doing more. You need to do less so that you can hear me speak to you, so that you can be available and be present to love others. Because the currency of love is time. He calls us very clearly, puts a high priority on this to stop, to be available. I love this because, you know, you start thinking, what are some practical things I could do to create time? Well, I'll give you a couple. What would it look like for you in this next week? Again, I'm not adding anything onto your plate. I'm actually asking you to subtract. So what I mean that is, what would it look like for you to maybe leave your house 10 or 15 minutes earlier than you normally would to just get to work and to be to just be present and available for anybody who walked into the office that might have a need or maybe even need a conversation. And if you weren't there, then you wouldn't be able to have it. But now that you're there, you can. If you're in school, what would it look like for you to show up to class just 15 minutes earlier to be available, not with headphones in because that's the easy thing to do, right? But to be available for conversation, to create relationship. I just got a chance to talk with one of your volunteers after the, one of the first services, and he told me that he actually did this. He actually started going to his yoga class about a half hour earlier before anybody else would show up, and he began a relationship with one of the instructors. And through this relationship, he was able to invite her to Mariner's Huntington Beach, and through her invitation to Mariner's Huntington Beach, she found Jesus Christ. That's who you are. This is a community that loves and goes, you know what, I need to create space and opportunity to develop relationships. I want to love where I live, but I just, I got to figure out a way to create space. So we're going to do something together. And this is the greatest gift that I'm going to give you. It's the best gift you're going to get all week. And you ready for this? What we're going to do together is we're going to take 60 seconds, a whole minute, to just sit and do nothing.
For some of you, it's going to be the only 60 seconds you've had in the last week, maybe even month, to do nothing. And some of you, it's going to be like, this is crazy because my mind's going to start wandering, right? Your mind is going to go crazy and start thinking about, like, it's lunch, I'm hungry. Who can I invite? Who has money that has, you know, can take me out to lunch? So you're like thinking about all this strategy, and maybe that's just me. And so you're like, <clears throat> you, you've got all these plans, and you're like, I'm hungry, right? And so some of you, it's like, I got bills to pay, I got this. You're already planning your week because Monday's right around the corner. And so for others of you, it's going to be nothing. You won't hear anything. So then just receive that as a gift. It's okay. Sit and be. For some of you, God is actually going to speak profoundly. And maybe for the first time in this last week, you'll actually hear him because you're not doing anything. So in this next 60 seconds, all I want you to do is be. Just be here and see what God does. So, starting now. Lord, we're thankful, thankful for the minute that we got to spend being silent, to maybe hear you speak, to sense your presence, to calm the storm and the wind and the waves in our life now. God, please forgive us. Forgive us for the times in our head and our heart we feel like we have to do more, that we're not doing enough, and that we somehow need to earn your approval or do things to make you happy. God, help us to let go of that. Help us to surrender those thoughts. I'm thankful for the story. We get to see that you place a high priority in just being with us. God, I pray that you would speak to those in, a, in the room right now, that you would give us courage to surrender and to let go of all of the things that are maybe piling up. Show us where we can create margin and space to love and to care for those who are around us. Give us the strength to follow through with that this week. God, we love you. We thank you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.